The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 135. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make yourself. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery, uh, the penultimate episode called There is a Tide. Joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. One. I'm so glad we have only one episode left this season. (laughs) (laughs) And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. Hi, Dom. And when I looked at this episode or the title, I thought it was There is a Time. And I was thinking of uh, Ecclesiastes, There is a Time for All Things Under the Sun. <laughs> there, well, or or the, the birds turn, 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 whichever you prefer. We'll quickly get into the the meaning of the title in a sec. But uh, first, I want to encourage the listeners to share the podcast with your friends. Help us grow this community of listeners. Reach more Star Trek fans. We're going to be getting back to discussing all the classic series uh, once the season of Discovery is done and then discussing whatever new. Star Trek uh, comes out. Hopefully, Strange New Worlds soon would be nice. I would love to see that one next, but uh, probably not that one next. We'll I think get... Lord Dex is probably going to be the next one, I think. I think so. So let's talk about this one. So this is the, the second to last episode of the season, as Jimmy uh, reminded us. And uh, it's a first part of a two-part finale. And it's directed by Jonathan Frakes, which I think goes toward making this a better episode than others recently. I think Frakes, I like the way Frakes directs these episodes. And uh, so I was very, uh, very uh, encouraged by it. I don't think as much in terms of direction. I occasionally notice things a director does, but I think very much in terms of what writers do. And from this, this episode has some flaws. But despite that, from a writing perspective, this is the best episode of the season. The mirror, the mirror episodes were close. But the and 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 they were close for the same reason that this is uh, the best, which is it is not reflective. We are not sitting around talking and thinking about our feelings. The thing that pulled the mirror episodes down, mirror universe episodes down a little bit is they had some of that, you know, especially when we got on Discovery. There was stuff about Adira and Tilly and stuff like that that was the wallowy therapeutic Star Trek that I don't like. Um, When we were in the mirror universe, it was straight ahead storytelling. And what I like about this episode is that's the whole episode. It is straight ahead storytelling. We are not little spots. Yeah. Little spots, but yeah. So let's talk about the title. The title comes from, there is a tide comes from the Shakespeare uh, play, Julius Caesar. The full quote is there's a tide in the, the affairs of men, which taken at the flood leads on to fortune omitted all the voyages of voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in miseries on such a full sea are we now afloat and we must take the current when it serves or lose our ventures and uh, i talked to my wife who is the english professor about what this means <laughs> and uh, and 
the what I took from seize it is the seize the opportunity, dude. Yeah, it's basically seize the day. Sometimes the opportunities that when they present themselves, you have to take them at the moment because if you miss it, it's gone forever. So, and of course, there's a couple couple of layers to that in this episode too. Right, so. right. The original title that was released because the, the, these ending episodes had different titles when they released the whole season list. Uh, the original title was "The Good of the People." What did you guys think that meant? Did you have any? Did you think about that at all? In terms of this episode, yeah, I mean, it's it's it has to do with Osiris' proposition to uh, Admiral Vance. Okay, yep. okay, all right. That's that's, that's, that's I see. I, I see it as well. And and again, you could also take it again. They're also for the good of the the crew taking back the ship. Yeah, all yeah. that. So, so <clears throat> where we ended last time was Osiris had captured Discovery. Uh, from the the outside the nebula where the burn started. Uh, by the way, there's no uh, discuss. Nothing happens. We see nothing from what's going on at the nebula with Saru and and Hugh Culber. Uh, they're not at all present in this episode uh, on screen. So that Nor Zadira. She's mentioned, and that's about it. Right, because she's also at the at the nebula. So uh, that th- we'll presumably find out what hap- what's going on with them in the next episode. So. <clears throat> We have Osira showing up in Discovery, pretending to be attacked by her own ship as she's, uh, you know, conning and in charge of Discovery and trying to get them to open the shield to let her into the Federation headquarters there. Um, and then uh, the they make a mention, let's hang a lantern on. Uh, we've taken over all of the the operating system of the ship, except for this old data containing old and earth entertainment uh but we don't really care about that it's taking up hardly any space at all and yeah it's just a buster keaton movie yes so we, we don't we don't so hang a lantern on that one we'll be that, 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 <laughs> that that's a that's an mp3 or a, a video file mkv you don't need to worry about you know yes yeah, so those old no eyes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh we have zara back from episode two for the far from home the, the former uh courier uh, played so well. I, I just, I really like this character. Uh, he's very, he's, he's suitably villainous. So, uh, and now he's working for he, Osira. He, he he had been left to die on the ice on the living ice planet. Right. Right. And uh, had hand, his hand was uh, damaged in that. So we see that. Yeah. Now. The also Admiral Vance has to make a decision about uh, what's going on and whether or not to let discovery in. And he has this phrase, he says, he deduces that if Osiris' ship is, you know, coming in hot on the heels of Discovery, she must have been waiting for them at the nebula. And the phrase he uses is, she must have ambushed them at the nebula. And the phrase he uses is, waiting for them like an Altarian spider. And I'm going, okay, here on Earth, (laughs) spiders set elaborate traps and then wait for their prey to stumble into them. That's what webs are. What exactly do Altarian spiders do that's different that justifies you saying that? It's the long tradition of Star Trek. I mean, that is a long tradition of Star Trek of, <laughs> of making things like the like a, 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 a Denebian uh, slime devil, which is somehow different from a regular old slime devil. Like just, well, both of those, I mean, I, I don't mind references to science fiction animals, but look, dude, you're a human. What is it that 
Altarian spiders do that's different than earth spiders that would make you say such a thing? I can't imagine what that would be. How do they, they wait even more? <laughs> they, they sit just outside a sensor range until you beam it, until you jump in and then they get you. They build elaborate uh, force field traps. <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> so uh, Book and Burnham, meanwhile, are uh, trying to catch up to Discovery by using the same transwarp conduit that uh, uh, presumably Osiris used to get to the nebula. And now we see why people don't travel in transform conduits because it's full of junk. There's a yeah, broken ship dead ships yeah. that presumably exploded as part of the burn that all that, all that stuff, they were destroyed in the burn and were, they stayed in the conduit, which is interesting. Uh, so they have to evade all that as they go through there. Um, they, they are on, when they get there, they can't communicate with Starfleet to let them know what's going on. So instead they crash into the discoveries shuttle bay as it's passing through the shields. They do they do the Kirk maneuver of entering an enemy controlled Federation ship, meaning ram the shuttle bay. <laughs> right. See Star yeah. Trek five. Yes. <laughs> so here we have a a, a, a puzzle. I, I think it's a flaw in the writing. The as Michael and Book are coming in they deduce the kind of plan that Osira must be executing uh, because she's apparently done something like this before where she got herself into a situation sneakily and then like killed a bunch of people. And so they're assuming that what she wants to do is get inside the defense shield around Federation headquarters and then kill everybody. You know, and you're coming in hot. She would expect you would expect Osira to. um begin that attack the moment she's through the shield and and it's going to turn but that's not what we see instead osira gets through the shield vance lets her through and the discovery has just you know uh, been rammed by the shuttle and or by book ship in the and and instead of attacking osira goes to investigate what's up with this with with book ship suddenly boarding us and i'm going why isn't she attacking now it's going to turn out that the the plan that book and burnham deduced is misdirection that's actually not what she's going to do but they don't clarify that for so long in this episode that i found it distracting because it's like, why is why is um, why is Osira acting contrary on point after point to her interest? Why is she not attacking? Why does she want to keep everybody alive? You know, why is she issuing these no harm orders? None of this makes any sense, given the plans they've laid out for us. And what the writers are doing is counting on when it's revealed what her plan is. Um it'll be like, oh, and we'll have this big revelation and it'll all make sense. And it does. But I had to suffer through like, I don't know, 15 minutes of why is this bad writing happening on my screen in front of me, given what they set up? And I don't think the payoff was worth it. I would rather leave her plan vague. I'd rather have Book and Burnham saying, I have no idea what she's doing. This doesn't make any sense. And they didn't earn the benefit of the doubt on the writing because they've had such bad writing previously in the season <laughs> that you don't yeah. go, well, well, they must have a plan. Well, maybe they, yeah. Well, this is, 
Well, this is the, the false suspense where you don't tell the whole story. You know, it, it's kind of like the murder mysteries where if only someone would tell what they saw, they could have solved it in five minutes. But no, we have to suffer through an hour of trying to figure it out until it finally comes out. Type of right. deal. You know, similar, similar type of deal. So we, we also get a little more of the, the Osiris not being just a villain uh, where we, we have this human scientist, the greatest scientist in three sectors who, working for her. In, he's in a wheelchair and he's been sent to figure out the spore drive. I want to point out. So the scientist is called Aurelio. The actor who plays the scientist Aurelio is the same actor who played the Klingon call, as well as a couple other Klingons in discovery. So under makeup, he actually needs the wheelchair. He was diagnosed with ALS in 2018 and has been in a wheelchair since 2019. Uh, so it was very interesting to to see him continuing to to act. Uh, I mean, he he's been I've seen him in stuff for ages. He's done a lot of guest stuff. He was in that old show Jericho about the end of the world years ago. Um, so uh, Eric Green. No, that was a character in Jericho. Anyway, um, so I'm, very, I'm, good. I'm sorry to hear about the actor's troubles and I'm glad he's getting work. Um, I did find it not credible that in the 31st century top scientists are going to be in wheelchairs. You know, I mean, we would have the ability to do all kinds of things to make people ambulatory way before then. Well, they, they do kind of they do kind of hint that um, that science and technology has degraded since the burn. And so I, I, I can see it. And let, let's be fair. I don't see in the 23rd century somebody like Pike having to be in a wheelchair either. Though, so, <laughs> right, right. Um, so, but they give him a job. We've, we actually saw someone else in a wheelchair in Discovery too in the first season, I think they saw in the background. So they've, they've done that before, but you're right. Yeah, you're they, right. they had someone going down the corridor in a wheelchair in one of the. So book gives Burnham, uh, you know, as they're going to go sneak around the ship, book knows that they only, they only know for sure that book must be there because it was his ship that crashed. So he's going to send Burnham off uh, to sneak around the ship and do the, the diehard thing. We'll get to why that's a diehard thing in a minute. Um, Rescue Stamets because they can't use the spore drive without him. Right. And so he gives her a life sign masking device that he says he got off of a Tosk. Remember Tosk from Deep Space Nine, uh, the the prey oh, yeah. sentient species. So from the from the Delta Quadrant or Gamma that's, Quadrant. That's right. So he uh, so he gives her a Tosk life sign masking device, which I think is good. Uh, we we get the. Um, the I love you scene where they, they, they love each other. And they, they spend way too much time saying, I love you and kissing. It's like, this is the wrong moment for that. <laughs> right. Michael Burnham, they hang a lantern on it because Michael says, is this the wrong moment to tell you I love you? Yes, it is. Go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're in a big hurry. They're coming into the ship. Oh, but I got to tell you, I love you and, and kiss. And, and we got to spend a minute letting them get closer to us. So uh, Vance figures out pretty early that Osira is on Discovery. So that to his credit, he, he and that was pretty good. Uh, I, again, I've I like Vance as a character. I've I've enjoyed him. So I'm and I continue to enjoy him. I don't uh, trust him yet. I don't. I but I like the character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, uh, Burnham sneaking through Discovery runs into one of the re- they call them regulators that uh, Osira's people because they're not just Orions. They're all kinds of species. But they they're called regulators, uh, and uh, she. That's, I kind of get the kind of the old west, you know, uh, mob justice, vigilante justice type. Yeah, sure. Idea. Uh, she ends up getting stabbed 
uh, by this guy when she fights with them. And I'm like, come on. She doesn't have to walk around with a with a stab wound. They've got med kits. Oh, but she gets this, one. This was the stupidest thing. And the reason. So we have an action sequence where she goes after this guy. And OK, fine. I'm I'm here for an action sequence. But then once she gets him on the ground. She tries to put him in a scissor headlock with her legs. He's already on the ground. What purpose does this serve? If you're going to snap his neck, snap his neck. Don't waste time with this ridiculous scissor thing. It, what What is she hoping to achieve by that? It All it does is give him an opportunity to stab her in the leg. I think she's trying to choke him out, like to, to make him unconscious because that's because he he comes back later. And gets knocked out again. This okay, guy's having a bad legs, day. <laughs> legs are a really inefficient way to choke someone unconscious. Yes. Well, it's this is a, a weird trope that's that's entered into movies like since ever since uh, the second Iron Man, where Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow does the whole jump, get her legs around the guy's neck and then flip him around thing. Now, all the stunt women are doing this. I don't know what it's it looks flashy, but it's dumb. Well, it also does allow for the uh, stabbing her in the leg like immediately. It it's does. like, good job. <laughs> yeah. And then she has to use the phaser to seal the wound. Why yeah, just shoot him? This, this doesn't look flashy because she's not the guy is not standing up when she does it. The guy's already laying on the ground. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. It's actually um, the the device she uses is actually the. Uh, the healing device, I forget what they call it, the the, the flesh knitting thing. But it's it, it's kind of cool that they have now all this stuff is contained in a little device that materializes it in your hand uh, instead of having to Replicates wear it on it. Velcro. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I, I do like that. Um, so I this is where I um, had the same question you did, Jimmy. Why would Osira capture Discovery and immediately attack Starfleet headquarters? Why wouldn't she take some time? to go figure out the spore drive independently of it. Like before you go attack, like I've got discovery. Mm -hmm. Let's go over here to this little out of the way system, spend a couple months figuring out how this works. And then we'll go take it. You know, then install it on some ships and then jump right inside the, 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 uh, the, the distortion zone, whatever, and then take over. So we find out why, but it did seem a bit weird at this point. Yeah, so we've got multiple things going on. Osira is talking to Vance on the phone, and she says, I'm here to negotiate, and I'm not here to attack. And as a gesture of goodwill, I'm releasing all of the uh, crew except the bridge crew. I'm keeping them because I need leverage. And it's like, you've got this ship. That's all the leverage you need. You can release the bridge crew, too, and then they won't be on your ship and able to stage a takeover attempt, which, of course, is what they do. So <laughs> this is this is bad thinking on Osiris part and the writer's part. Um, in any event, uh, the bridge crew is laying a trap to retake the discovery, and it's kind of neat to see them doing that. They're using Morse code to they're tapping on bulkheads with their fingers in Morse code to kind of fake out the guards around them and make them think they're planning something they're not. And then they spring what they're actually planning. Um, but <clears throat> the really interesting thing, and it's like, okay, so here's the obligatory action. Let's retake the ship thing. Um, but the, where the episode suddenly becomes way more interesting is when Osira and Vance meet face to face 
and they've got a holographic lie detector guy there. Um, and Osiris says, we want to join the Federation. This is what's going to be best for everybody. The Federation is uh, in severe trouble. We're in severe trouble, but we're in trouble in ways that we can actually help each other. And for the good of the people of the galaxy, it would be better if we united. So the Emerald Chain and the Federation should merge. And all of a sudden, and, and she's serious. The lie, she, This is not a ruse. The lie detector guy confirms this is absolutely true. I, I like the use of the lie detector hologram here because it clearly, clearly keeps the audience from having to wonder, is she lying? It it really it, it eliminates that whole possibility. And now we can believe her. It's a really good device that they've they've added here. So I did like that. Uh, very good. Um, and she does say, like, Vance has the obvious question. Why? Why do you need the Federation? And she says, because the Federation is still a symbol of hope. And we need to we need you for I mean, we're we're running a mercantile empire, but it's it's we could make even more money if people liked us and and you you with your moral principles, people like that. And so we can if we can arrange a merger, then we can get people to like us, too. And it, that's better for business if your customers like you rather than fear and hate you. <laughs> She does have the, the 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 perfect tagline for the new corporation. You're a chain of planets and we're a federation of mercantile exchanges. <laughs> it's like, like <laughs> you know how you mix and match, you know. She, she's clearly thought this out. She, she had that line at the ready. Uh, so back on the ship, Stamets and Aurelio are kind of sp uh, verbally sparring over uh, whether he's going to reveal the secrets of the spore drive. And specifically, Stamets is talking about family as a gambit to humanize himself in Aurelio's eyes so that Aurelio will have trouble just torturing the information out of him. And he's trying to turn Aurelio against Osira. He recognizes that Aurelio is in a parental relationship with an Orion and they have and he must have kids because of some uh, uh, jewelry that he's wearing. Stamets is now claiming to be Adira's father, which I think is interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, they, they've just said it explicitly. He's been acting that way for episodes. Yeah. So now now apparently he's, he's her father. Uh, Burnham is tracked down into a Jeffrey's tube and cornered. Um, oh, so whoa. That before we leave Aurelio for a second, though. Uh -huh. uh, so the strategy that Stamets is doing, I mean, it's it doesn't have a great chance of success if in real life, but it's actually a good strategy. If someone is ever holding you hostage, you want to humanize yourself. You want to get mm -hmm. them to think of you like them. Oh, you're a family man. I'm a family man, too. You have people who care about you. I have people who care about me. It's going to make it harder for them to do things to you that are very unpleasant if they think, oh, he's just like me. So this is a sound strategy. Um, also, though, Aurelio is referred to as an invigilator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, really? I Don't you mean investigator? Because an invigilator is like a test proctor. It's a person who watches people taking tests to make sure they don't cheat. His job, as the name would suggest, is to be vigilant while someone is doing something. Oh, not invigorate things, which I thought was no. what I thought. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's an invigorator. Uh, no, yeah. he's an invigilator. Uh, so as I, yeah, so I was going to mention that Burnham next is that she's tracked down into a Jeffrey's tube where she's cornered. 
and uh, she ends up faking a fire, which vents the tubes to space, which is that if you're going to design a fire suppression system, which is better, venting the oxygen and everything, including everyone in the tubes, or maybe just spraying something that puts out a fire or maybe erecting a little force shield around the fire that suppresses it. <laughs> I'm thinking this is a bad idea. Uh, yeah, but- I, I wondered about that, too. Also, speaking of bad ideas, Michael brought this on herself because she's got the life sign masking thing. Why would she then take a communicator from from the guy that she has headlocked because they can trace her through the communicator? That's not a life sign. That's not going to get masked. In the 20th century, we have find my phone <laughs> the 21st century. So, you know, um, and you would you would think that they would explain to him that, that, you know, no, they didn't have. Well, they. They could find, you know, they had their the old style uh, communicators, the flip phone communicators. They could find where those were at. And then, they, you know, when they're given their new fancy, you know, com badge slash tricorders. Oh, by the way, we can also tell where this is at. So they, she thinks she'd been do able that to as out. far back as the 24th century. Where is Mr. Data? Well, his com badge is in his quarters. Yes. By the way, uh, I, I skipped mention this earlier. Uh, Burnham does send a mayday message to her mother, sort of a we're, we're in trouble, but also uh, bye. I may not see you again. And they kind of leave it there. So I'm guessing. Yeah, so guess what? Guess what? R- Romulan faction of nuns is going to show up next <laughs> yep. episode. Hey, nuns showing up to save the day. I'll take it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Warrior nuns saving the day. Yeah. Uh, that's oh, probably going to be. Also, Aurelio plans to, Stamets says that the spore drive depends on him because the tardigrade species is extinct. But Aurelio says you've got its DNA in you and we can extract that and grow new tardigrade cells. Right. So uh, back to Burnham in the tube. She vents at the space. The uh, regulator is holding under her legs and gets sucked out with her boots and um, I'm thinking, why not just shoot it with the phaser you were just using to shoot the thing? Like, why are you holding on instead of just shoot her and stun her and let her get sucked out into space or whatever? If that's your plan, because it's more dramatic. It's yeah. again, it's <laughs> just shoot her. <laughs> then she has to run around barefoot <laughs> like Bruce Willis in Die Hard. That was my Die Hard reference. Uh-huh. Um, crawling around through uh, ventilation shafts. Um, also, they they get sucked out without grabbing on to the things around them. That's all they yeah. are. It just it was a bad design. Uh, so bad on you, Frakes, for that one. <laughs> so, no, 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 no. Frakes is following the script. This is in the script. Well, that's so true. you got to blame the writers. <laughs> that, okay, I'll blame the writers. Oh, oh, sorry, John. Uh, so the the uh, <laughs> we have this conversation. This interesting interlude. This conversation between Vance. And Osira, I'm not sure what its purpose was in the script of the, about the apple replicated apples. Uh, like because oh, that he, was I think that was just to fill time. And it's kind of funny because like in the 30th century, everyone knows how thing how replication works. You re, you're reusing the raw materials that are on board this ship. You don't necessarily, you know, go out and get new raw materials every time you make food, right? I think it's also kind of showing how disconnected the Federation headquarters slash Starfleet headquarters is from the rest of the universe. Right. Well, Vance yeah. says he's you never know. had a real apple. Yeah. Whereas Osira notices immediately, oh, this doesn't taste like a real one. So there are advantages that people in the in the Emerald Chain have that people in the Federation don't. Um, but it's still largely running time padding and getting another cuss word on the air. <laughs> right. Um, 
when Vance describes what the replicated materials are actually made from. Um, but uh, the discussion they then proceed to have is much more interesting. They bring back in Mr. Lie Detector for this. And Osiris says, we need you to validate our culture as ethical. And he's like, how can I do that? And she's saying, well, by admitting that capitalism is already happening in the Federation. Have you checked in with Deep Space 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 lately? They've been a customer of ours for centuries. And um, and I'm going, OK, yeah, well, capitalism is ethical anyway. But um, <laughs> uh, he, he says, but you've got slavery. And she says, oh, we're going to outlaw that. And I and I'm on board with outlawing it. And we have other business practices that you're going to object to. But we have a plan to walk those back in stages over a period of, I think she said, 15 years. And, you know, as well as I, that if we tried to do it faster, it would be an invitation for chaos. So we've got a responsible plan here. We're, we're going to f- get to where we need to be in order to have this merger with the Federation. So you can say in good conscience that we're ethical. And at that point, we will be. And that'll be better for you. And it'll be better for us. And I'm loving this. This is this is great. I This is really nice to not have her portrayed as just a cardboard villain. Right. But Until then, she becomes one. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, there is an interlude here. Uh, where Aurelio and Spectre, Aurelio and Stamets, where Stamets is, meanwhile, and this is, I think, important to what comes, what follows, Stamets is trying to 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 let Aurelio know, Osira is not the good guy you think she is. Here are examples just of the things that I've encountered so far where she's done horrible, evil things, uh, and therefore you should not be supporting her. Uh, it's a classic undermining the ally sort of uh, idea. Well, it was it was interesting too because he turns the you know Aurelio was proud of that that pesticide for Quajon, and oh yeah, that was a wonderful thing. Did you know that she forced them to basically genocide a, a entire species off her planet because of it? A, a non sentient species, non sentient, yeah, but wipe out a species from this planet for that. No, and he didn't. He had no idea. I, I like the, in this exchange. So Aurelio gives Stamets pushback by pointing to good things that Osira has done and saying she's she's more than what she appears. And Stamets, once he hears the good things that Osira has done, is willing to grant that. He's willing to say, OK, I'll buy. She's more than she appears, but she's also exactly what she appears. Um, that doesn't take away from the really horrible things she's done. And then uh, meanwhile. Stam- uh, Burnham rescues Stamets. She gets in there and she n- knocks out Aurelio and the, the, the guards. Him. Yep. And uh, Stamets. Oh, also, the rest yep. of the crew has escaped as well. And they have a really good gambit. They can't mask all of our life signs. So what they do is they reach into the ship's database and and pump up all of the life signs of everybody who's been on the ship in the last number of months. So suddenly the people on the bridge are looking at thousands of life signs from where everybody has been over the last number of months. And I thought this was really clever. I like this. Um, And they don't know which ones are real and which ones are data ghosts. Yep. So Burnham rescues Stamets and Stamets immediately wants to jump back to the nebula because we have that ticking clock for you know, Hugh and Saru, and now he realizes Adira is there too. And 
Burnham, he goes, he goes the, crazy. Yeah, he goes absolutely crazy, and he's, he's like going. My whole life is in that nebula, and he's he's losing it. And my, this is a great scene for Michael because she neck pinches him to get him under control again, and then she jettisons him in like this escape pod out of the ship, so he cannot be used to jump it. And and she's making the hard decision for once and sticking with it and not letting her emotions affect her. And it's I really appreciate this. I like this a lot. This is one of the few times where they don't waste. You know, she doesn't waste time. She's like she's trying to get him off the ship. She's trying to get him take, you know, to to be safe. And he's immediately wanting to jump into the spore thing. And she finally gets a hold of him and just like, I'm done with you. Right. There's no knocks him out. emotional talk down in therapy session or anything like that. Like you said to me earlier, this is cut to the chase, toss him in the thing and blow a hole in the side of the ship and throw him out, <laughs> which is, I think is great. I, think, I, I was yeah. I was really irritated, though, with, with Stamets at this point, because when he comes to in the in this escape pod thing, the escape, escape bubble. He goes, we came to the future for you. It's like, no, you came to the future to protect the spore data. Burnham having to be the person leading you, but you didn't come to the future for her. I actually, I think they kind of, I mean, my read on that event was that they did, that they could have let discovery go through by itself. And they chose to go through to be with Michael, which I always thought was ridiculous. Um, But I do like the fact that, okay, given that we've all done this ridiculous thing for you, I like a man in a moment of vulnerability, throwing it in her face. Right. And her and her being able to say, despite that, I'm not, I can't let you guilt me. The right thing to do is the right thing to do. And and getting him off the ship. Yeah. Oh, also, also call back to original series. The way she blows a hole in the ship is she sets a phaser in a window on detonate and uses the phaser as a grenade. Yep. Yep. That was good. Uh, so back to Vance and Osira. Vance says, um, hey, you know, the, I, I the armistice, I've read through it. I think it's a great idea. Um, one problem though, the face of the chain in the armistice, the part, the leader of this merge, you know, that I, I presumably there's gonna be two leaders, a Federation president and someone from the chain, but the person from the chain cannot be you, Osira. And in fact, it has to be someone independent of you who will prosecute you for your crimes. And she's dumb, baffled. Dumb, dumb. Yeah. She's baffled. And I'm thinking about this. Well, I'm she, she's on board with part of it. She, she knows it can't be her. And and he says, and it can't just be a puppet for you. And she says it won't be. And Mr. Lie Detector says that is not true. <laughs> yeah. So she recognizes part of this and probably he could have gotten her to agree to someone truly independent. But what was the deal breaker for her was, oh, I've got to be prosecuted. Now, if the 31st Century Federation is anything like the 24th Century Federation, that means you're going to spend a couple of years in a, in a tropical resort. Um, but, um, you know, I don't know what the 31st century Federation detention facilities are like, but that's what we've seen. And, and we're not given any reason to suspect it's different. So personally, I wouldn't be too afraid of that. I wonder, is this a bit of cancel culture kind of creeping into Star Trek's worldview? Let me, Hmm. let me, let me me throw it out there for you. Yeah. How so? Because so. She says, you're stuck in the past. I'm offering a roadmap to the future. And it's a, it, you could say this is similar to uh, historical instances on Earth where we've had countries where we've had a, a, an old regime uh, overthrown 
And in order to move forward, we have to reconcile with those who are in the past. And instead of having hunt, uh, hunting people down, we've had a truth and reconciliation commission and we move on. And he says the past is the only light with which, with which we can see the future. In other words, there's no, there's no really a sense of a redemption for her. Mm, they're both sloganeering. I mean, there is a, I think it's a judgment call. Because if you think about Earth situations where things like this have happened, um, I mean, it, there's a whole spectrum from the leaders of the former evil regime must die. So that's what happened uh, to Ceausescu, for example. Um, or they are going to be tried and put away forever if they don't kill themselves first, which is what happened to Hitler. And actually, he would have been executed. He wouldn't have been put away forever. Others at the Nuremberg trials were um, were executed. Um, but then you have other situations like South Africa, where F.W. de Klerk was not killed, um, but he also wasn't in power anymore. And so I and so I think that it it there's a judgment that has to be made what's possible and what is for the good of the people in this situation do we let this person live do we not let them live if we do let them live what kind of price do they have to pay or sometimes maybe they don't have to pay a price because we can't get them on board other ways and they this really will be for the betterment of the people you know, if we let this one guilty person off, we can achieve something much better for everybody in society. And, you know, if if if, if I, that can be a logical choice, too. Yeah, we don't know what the punishment, like you said, Don, we don't know what the punishment for Syra would have been. You know, she could have got the Martha Stewart treatment, which is you go to a you know a prison a resort for a few years and live her life in, reti- in comfortable, comfortable retirement. We don't know. Or come back um, and, and resume her business dealings. She could run her business dealings from the tropical resort that Tom Paris was in. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And the, the interesting thing is, is Vance lets her walk away from this based on this, though. You know, what is for the good of the people? Is it better for the people that one guilty person walk away and then the, a war continues between the Emerald Chain and the Federation or that one guilty person uh, you, you 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 hold her accountable. No, what I'm trying to say is either you, you hold out for holding her accountable, but then this war happens or you, you kind of let it go and you yeah. have peace. I, I think part of the problem is we don't know enough about what uh, Osira has done in the past and whether she's really done. I mean, if she genocided sentient species, OK, I'm with she she needs to to be prosecuted. But if she hasn't, if her crimes are of a lesser order, if she's the equivalent of a mobster and okay, she's killed some people, but we can really bring the galaxy out of this conflicted situation. I could see cutting a deal with a mobster, you know, um, if it get her on tax, get her on tax, get her on tax evasion (laughs) instead of murder. Do Capone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So so I at this point, I don't I think that the writers have justified Vance's position on this. I it, it I think that I would I would say, based on what I know as a viewer, I would let Osira off with just she can't be the face of the chain and the real face of the chain cannot be her puppet. Right. Right. And she she was hinting that it would be that the the person who would be that 
position would be a top scientist. So it would be Aurelio, who we already know has that connection to her. In fact, frankly, I might even be willing to let her off of it. Okay, he can be your puppet. It just the face can't be you. Uh, and he, he does say the burn has obscured moral clarity. And so we have to fight for it, which is interesting. So he's still hinting at the what has happened in the Federation over the past century has been really bad. Uh, the Federation has not lived up to its ideals. We need to fight for moral clarity. Um, he then says that he sees the Orion people as that as good, and he wants her to be as good as they can be, uh, which is also another interesting. You know, so we're not painting all Orions as bad guys, which I'm glad we're not doing uh, doing that sort of thing. Uh, so, but Osira stops off, goes back to Discovery. Uh, Rin, remember the Andorian with the uh, antenna had been cut off, uh, who had been helping the bridge crew escape. He's been captured and uh, she's going, she. So as book. In book, right. And she wants uh, information about how to find the bridge crew. He refuses to give it to her. Um, he, he then order, she then orders Aurelio to, to, um pull the information out of him and ja- Zara, I think it was Zara. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, so we have this situation where she's got the two of them on the bridge. She's got Ren, the Andorian and book on the bridge. And she is willing at, at a certain point to kill Ren. And this is all playing out in front of Aurelio. And here's where I think Frank Frank's directing may be a little heavy handed because he's so focusing on showing us this is all playing out in front of Aurelio, because this is what's going to undermine Aurelio's confidence in Osira. And I think we could have done with a few less prominently placed Aurelio shots um, as this is happening. But um, Os- Osira is going to kill Ren. And Book intervenes to and says, look, I know where you can get enough dilithium to end the dilithium shortage. And she's going, oh, duh, in the nebula. And he's going, yeah, but nebulas are big places. I can give you the exact coordinates if you let Rin live. And she's going, oh, that's very interesting. Zap, she disintegrates Aurelia. I mean, she disintegrates Rin. So exit character stage phaser fire. <laughs> yeah. And um, and this is unnecessary for it's unnecessary for her to do this. There's no obvious reason other than to turn Aurelio against her. In fact, she tried earlier to get Aurelio off the bridge. She said, you can go. And he's like, no, I want to, I want to stay. And she's like, well, okay. I, I know you're not used to seeing difficult things, but this sometimes they're necessary and this is how we make progress. And so they've they've really pointed out this is what's going to turn Aurelio against her in the next episode. Yeah, we see it in the acting of the of the actor, too, just very clearly on his face. Um, and that was a a big mistake by book to tell you this and expect you to act differently. Um, so well, this uh, is this is where she becomes the, the, the cardboard villain, you know, or. It's the, yeah, the, uh, we do have another case where Burnham is uh, starts fighting with the regulators, including the same one she choked earlier. She has to choke him again. I just thought that was funny. She, this guy's going to brain damage after this episode. <laughs> um, and then the bridge crew shows up and dude, well, not shows up so much as they suddenly decide to do something. It's like, guys, you escaped 20 minutes ago in runtime. <laughs> where have you been and what have you been doing all of this time? But they come to an armory and they start taking the weapons until he's like, grab as many weapons as you can. 
and then the dots show up. Yay, the dots! Yeah, and they play a little clip of Buster Keaton, and it's like, oh, you're the sphere data. Are you here to help us? Yeah. Remember what I said last time? I want to see more of the dots. I want to see them as characters. Yes, we're going to have dots next episode. I I don't know. You you just like them because they're Star Trek version of the Star Wars droids. So yes, I I have a soft spot for droids. So (laughs) and they have right as you mentioned, they have the sphere data in them. Oh, and uh, by the way, uh, the Burnham has been recaptured by Zara. So so she's been captured by Zara. So that they're going to have to obviously free her. Um, And the dots do speak in Zora's voice. Remember Zora from. Uh, Calypso, the the sh- uh, short track, so uh, very clearly the same AI. Uh, so, and that's where we end. It's the cliffhanger for next time. We're going to have to resolve everything, including uh, Saru and Culber in the in the uh, uh, nebula. Uh, all that's going to have to be resolved in the next episode. Yeah. So, like I said, this I thought this was from a writing perspective, even though it had flaws. This was the best episode of the season because it's just straightforward storytelling. There's there's not, you know, wallowing in therapy and we're all together and stuff like that. Unfortunately, next episode's not going to be as good because in the preview, we have Saru with Culber and Adira saying, whatever happens, we are together. <laughs> And it's like, yeah, oh, please. Yeah. <laughs> We've had enough togetherness talk in this season already. What is it with the current crop of writers with all this therapeutic junk? It, I mean, it feels like there's been a generational shift and the newer writers are much more insecure and in need of therapy themselves. And so, you know, they say, write what you know. So they're giving us a bunch of therapeutic junk because they are all therapy in need of therapy you know i wonder is michael shaban still the showrunner on this one i, I forget if it, if that's changed in this um and i i can't quickly find it but um i, I wonder remember. if there's been a shift in the writer's room from last season to this one in a substantial way like that where showrunners or whatever have changed but you're right like you can't imagine kirk or picard or like any of the never mind uh you know um uh, deep space nine you know cisco Cisco, whatever happens, we're together. Like, no, they're, 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 that's not going to happen. They're not the, going to say the that. The closest you get to that is like yesterday's Enterprise where Picard stands before they're getting ready to you know, go after Klingons. Let's make sure history remembers the name Enterprise. In other words, let's go out with a bang, you know. But that's not like togetherness, Doc. That's just No, that's what I'm bravado. saying, though. It's, yeah. it's very different, very yeah. different but I think mindset. I think it's it's more than just. Star Trek, and it's more than just this writer's room. It's if you look at Doctor Who, Chris Chibnall's three companions he created. Okay, there's a cancer survivor, there's a guy who can't control his muscles properly, and there's a, a woman who has mental health issues. You know, and and th- we're meant to feel sympathy for them all because they have these vulnerabilities, and we go, oh, they get to overcome them and stuff. It, what is with the therapy fiction? That is out there now where you it's it's like in uh, the New Year's Day special of of Doctor Who um, Yaz turns to Captain Jack and says, are you like really insecure because you seem to need a lot of praise? Right. And yeah, and, I say, that actually kind of answers your your objections. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. almost kind of a poking at the, that. I mean, I'm not saying that's not a, a real objection, but I'm saying it's it kind of pokes at that idea of we always have to be insecure and have this praise, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's the tell don't show about how great everybody is. And that it's part of that. Let's wallow in our emotions and feel therapeutic. And it's just infested. Uh, 
it seems like the current generation of of writers who I assume are younger, and that's why it's appearing in multiple different forms across uh, science fiction. And I'm I for one am sick of it. I want to see strong characters doing things. I don't want to be told how great they are. I don't want constant togetherness talk. I don't want constant mutual praise. Um, that's just a sign of insecurity on the part of the characters if they need that. And that tells me something about the writers, that they're insecure too and don't know how to do stories another way. And you know where you can find that is The Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. They, they, I, w- I would say actually the start, the, well, outside of the movies, the recent movies, the Star Wars universe as a whole, you know, having just watched Clone Wars and Rebels, both, you don't see a lot of that. I mean, there's some, but it actually fits within the circumstances they're in. Right. Well, you're right. It's it's not you have to eliminate it completely, but it has to be. It you just can't wallow in it, like Jimmy's saying. It's it and and Star Wars, the stuff that Dave Filoni is shepherding along, including Mandalorian, doesn't do that, and that's it's been refreshing to see over there. But uh, yeah, I agree, Jimmy. Uh, we need to do less of this emotional wallowing that we're doing in all kinds of stuff. It's, it's, it's frustrating and ugh. <laughs> so, <laughs> on a high note, we'll end this episode, but, uh, but to reiterate, I enjoyed this. I like, I liked this episode. There was a lot to like about it and uh, I like the action. Uh, so last final notes, father Corey, anything left to, to say? Just you know, one thought I did have uh, while we were, we're talking is, you know, we're talking, you know, how uh, Osiris said she needed to keep some of the crew as leverage. And, I thought about it as I was thinking about it. It's like, you know, Vance has already shown his willingness that he's going to blast discovery out of the sky. You know, as soon as he realizes she's got the ship, he's, he's already told, you know, the other starships in, in dock there, go weapons, hot blast it. And so cause they've got all the data on the spear drive. They've got all the specs on it. The only thing they're missing is Stamets, right? You know, he's the only weak link in that whole thing. So, um, it act that actually did kind of make sense from Osira's character. She realizes, like, no, if he thinks that I'm going to get twitchy with the the fire button, I'm gone. The ship is gone. He's not going to think twice about it. Jimmy, nope. Okay. Uh, so before we finish things out, I want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Cole S, Laura F, Nicholas D, Christopher D, and Matthew D. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And now's a great time to become a StarQuest patron because thanks to a generous gift from a StarQuest supporter, when you start a new Patreon monthly pledge at sqpn.com slash give, the first three months will be matched by an equal amount from our donor. So if, for example, you become a new patron at $10 a month, after three months, our donor will give $30 to StarQuest to support all our shows including this one, which makes your gift go even further. So if you've been thinking of becoming a StarQuest patron, now's the time. Visit sqpn.com slash give today. So that's it from us. If we'd like to hear from you, what you thought of There is a Tide, and let us know uh, what you think of what we had to say. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek, or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time and we'll discuss the blessedly final episode of the season, the last one uh, called Outside. Until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thank you and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. 
Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, I'm at your service, Captain. Shall we take back the ship?